Hi listeners, welcome to this week's episode of TED Talks. So today we have a celeb extravaganza and something that's definitely going to brighten up what can only be described here in London as a bit of a grey day. I have the lovely Ed Dyson. Hi. Hi Ed. <laughs> Thank you for having me. No problems at all. So we have got today a bit of a treat. So slightly different to what we normally talk about. We're just going to talk about things I bloody love, which is uh, all things celeb. <laughs> um, so we're joined by what can only be described as one of the showbiz industry's journalist kind of, I'd say, connoisseurs. I was going to use the I've word king. I've never been called that before. I would say you're definitely a connoisseur and I loved reading through your <laughs> bio slash CV and it's one of those moments I often have whenever I have a guest on the show and I think, what the fuck have I done with my life? Like, that person's achieved so much. I've achieved nothing. I, I feel like you've achieved everything. <laughs> um, so you started off um, fresh out of uni and went straight to work um for some very, very big names to The Sun. We had The Daily Star. Um, yeah, jumped in at the deep end. You really oh, yeah. did. So tell me a bit about it. Tell, tell our guests exactly what that was like. Well, it was weird because I moved down to London and I was just um, like a lot of my friends who did the journalism course in Sheffield. We came down with no job and we, um, we had to do like unpaid internships like a lot of people do in a lot of industries. And so me and my friend, Annabelle, who we went to uni together, we were sharing a room, uh, like, to the point where we divided it with a screen and slept on either side, had wow. no money, were both working unpaid for magazines. And then it was, I applied for a job at an agency called Bang Showbiz, and they took me on. Again, the pay wasn't very big, but they sent um, the reporters out to, like, big events like premieres and album launches, award ceremonies to interview celebrities and then what the agency would do is take those interviews and place them in the national papers and it wasn't what I intended to do straight away I thought it was going to be more of a feature writer but I found I was quite good at it and I found myself very starstruck and excited and like one of my first jobs I met Sarah Jessica Parker and I was like oh my god I can't believe, <laughs> Dreams. I can't believe she knows I exist I did for like a second so I was running around London squealing just really excited and then one of the papers I think they now that I've been doing it for a long time, newspapers like young, enthusiastic journalists, which me and a lot of my colleagues now no longer are. <laughs> that's why. But at the time, I now see, looking back, why I was appealing to them, because they want people who want to go out. Because once you've done it for a few years, you start to kind of want to stay in a little yeah. bit. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm always really intrigued by, because, I mean, I think anybody that's ever been out-out with me knows that I can party with them kids. I mean, I'm broken <laughs> for two or three days after. I mean, you're drinking wine now. I mean, so, I know, it's the middle I. of the afternoon, <laughs> and I'm actually on a, on a booze freeze. Um, yeah, but I always think it's those kind of uh, careers really... I really admire them, because it's, it's not just the work that you do, but it's exhausting, actually, like, having a real high energy... Being mm. like somebody that people want to come up and talk to in a party, which is most people's like biggest fear. Well, I mean, mostly you in this job you would be approaching the celebrity. It's very rare that a celebrity comes and approaches you. So you kind of, but yeah, you have to present yourself as it's someone like holding who they a want conversation. To talk to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think even if you're approaching somebody, it's always that thing is like, who is this person? Like, who is who is she? Like, do I well, want to do I want to speak to them? Well, my tip for anyone who wants to be a showbiz journalist or wants to it has ever has to interview a celebrity at a party. Celebrities meet so many different people on a day to day basis that they don't remember anyone, including the people that they do know. 
So ah. if you go up to a celebrity party, don't introduce yourself. Just talk to them as if you've already met them and they will assume that Because they, they don't you. want to seem like they don't know who you are and they yeah, seem rude. Absolutely. So if you just go up to, I don't know, Ollie Murs, I'm like, Ollie, oh my God, it's so nice to see you again. He'll be like, oh, hi, how are you? He won't say, I've never met you before because he knows that he meets so many people that he has forgotten so he'll just be polite that's what they all do and then next thing you know you're interviewing him and he's such a good tip because I always get the fear I mean I always get that as soon as I come in the room with them or or I know it's my turn to speak I'm always a little bit nervous I still get that kind of butterflies in my stomach because I'm not seasoned as seasoned as you are um but that's a really good tip well one thing to to remember and I didn't realize this for years actually is and it's a good thing to think in your head before you speak to a celebrity a party or during an interview the person who should be nervous is them because the worst thing that can happen to you unless it's a big interview that's important for your career is that you don't get a story for them the worst thing that can happen is massive if they say the wrong thing in an interview with you it can ruin their career it happens all the time so the yeah. person who should be nervous is it's the a, celebrity. And that's a really weird you're, thought. You're the one with the power, even though it doesn't seem that God, way. what a terrifying life. So basically every <laughs> single time somebody approaches a celebrity, they have to think about what they're saying. Well, they don't. And that's why <laughs> that's why they cause so much shit from themselves. Especially when they've just become famous. That first year, I notice this a lot with X Factor contestants because they, they don't get enough time because they're thrusting so sure. from yeah, to I mean... be trained. They will say stuff and they'll inevitably fuck am I allowed to swear you can swear you can swear away (laughs) (laughs) inevitably fuck up and then they learn what they on the job what they should and shouldn't say and journalists often myself included in the past kind of take advantage of that naivety that's what I wanted to ask you it's like into the nitty gritty is there like a a bit of a like cheeky side of you and to me I just think it's basically clever commercial sense where you do want to take advantage of that because obviously the whole point Mm. is to get the scoop and to get the story and no one wants to listen to dry chat Absolutely, and I think that's you, what Tinder's for, basically. You're so I think when you, especially when you, I worked at the Sun or the Star, you you're in such a pressure to to um, produce exclusive content and to have those big stories that you get so focused on that you kind of do start to forget that they are people. And now, really, I, now I've been doing it longer. I don't do that, and there have been times now in recent years where there's been a story. I'm like, you know what? I don't think you meant to say that. I'm going to let that one go. And, and now, because you've got a heart. Yeah, but there have been times <laughs> in the past where I didn't. If they said something, if they slipped up, I thought, right, I know, I can twist that, I can do this. Um, never anything life-destroying, but sometimes, I mean, it's just silly things like you'll just ask them about another celebrity and what their opinion is. Well, like Mariah today. Have you, heard, have you been listening about recently when Mariah Carey apparently was asked, do you know J-Lo? And I don't know She her. was like, yeah. Yeah, that's her like famous really? phrase. That she said it a few times. <laughs> Well, Mariah intends to be shady, but a lot of the time they are speaking about another celebrity and they won't say anything too bad, but in print, everything looks worse. Yeah, I think that's the thing. And I think even today where, I mean, not very many people I'd say read print how we used to. Like I think when we Mm. were younger, when you were definitely starting out in your career, the only way you got your celebrity gossip was through like Heat magazine, like reading the 3am girls column, yeah, like going to those tabloids where they had the real juiciest celebrity gossip Mm -hmm. and it became like a real art the way that celebrity journalists interview and actually I've got quite a few friends that are celebrity journalists randomly. Mm -hmm. Um, I always feel like it's like the art of journalism that is still true, journalism. Yeah. Because you still have to curate your story in the same way and I'm just really fascinated about how you go in and you get the scoop and how you then turn that into whether it's like 
getting the quotes and sending them on or building mm-hmm. the, the buzz or the, the the scoop, basically, the big feature that's going to get everyone yeah. going cray-cray. So there's loads of different ways that you can end up breaking an exclusive story. So the, the most obvious one is just through an interview. So you interview a celebrity and then the best line, as they say in the newsroom, or the best quote, um, that's the story. But these days, more increasingly, they are more wary of the media, which we have ourselves to blame for because yeah. we've kind of, <laughs> like I said, messed them around enough. So that tends to be a bit harder. But then you've got, you get a lot of stories from contacts, from sources. So a lot of time I know people will be reading. So who are these sources? Because I always <laughs> feel like a secret source. I mean, that's one of the, I mean, I bloody love Grazia magazine and it is my favourite magazine. It's the perfect combination of fashion and celebrity. Gossip. Yeah. <laughs> but it's always like a source close to Jennifer Aniston said. <laughs> are these like friends? Are they random drunken people you see that witness things? They come from a million different places. So they, um, I mean, some, I mean, there's really extreme examples. Sometimes it's come from the celebrity themselves. Seriously? Yeah, so like when I was at The Sun, Lindsay Lohan, she used to sell stories about herself through her team to The Sun. Doesn't surprise me. Katie Price (laughs) is someone who would do that. Oh no, I really like Katie Price. She's one of them that people love to hate, but I'm rooting for her. But she she plays the game. She really does. Yeah, but at least she she plays it into me. Like The reason why I like Katie Price, which everyone's going to be like, Teb, end, loads the drop-off rate, just plummeted. (laughs) (laughs) Has been cancelled. <laughs> it's like she's like a Chris Jenner to me. Mm. Oh, sorry, like she's changing her name. Yeah, she's like she. You can tell she's playing a game. She's not a lot of obvious talent. She obviously has some talent, she and that maybe she's might... very honest. Yeah, which I admire. I like exactly. And she's good to interview. I once had to interview her in bed with her. Stop. So I think it was because she was so lazy. She <laughs> she tried to make out like it was a fun way to interview. It's like. <laughs> Bitch, you just can't be asked to get up. Let's just be honest. So I walk into a room and take her to the interview. She's in bed. I'm like, are you fucking kidding? So she's like, are you getting in? I was like, oh my God, I'm going to catch something. <laughs> so I get into bed with her. And then because she's laying down horizontal and she's got those famously large yeah, fun bags, I can't see her face. I'm trying to like <laughs> lift like my head. You're wading through the silicone. <laughs> exactly. So I can make eye contact. She's like... Uh, excuse me, are you looking at my tits? Oh. I'm like, Katie, how can I not? <laughs> it's either that or I hang my head out the window. So she's she's always interesting. She never gives a boring interview. Do you which... think she does, do you think that's part of the act? Do you think she does that like for the drama? I think she knows that her personal life and the drama in her personal life is her greatest commodity. I mean, that's her brand really, isn't it? Without it that. Is. So if she didn't get cheated on for two years, she'd probably be more devastated than she was. Yeah. She's like, oh, come so on, <laughs> we need something. Screw me over. Yeah. Um, so we've been on air for what, about 10 minutes now? Biggest celebrity scoop you've ever you've ever achieved. Oh my God, I don't know. That you feel is the biggest, because I think it's quite personal when it's your work. Yeah, uh, something I was proud of was uh, I kind of uncovered a drug scandal that happened at the BBC and that came from an oh, interview. Oh, I wasn't expecting that. It came from an interview that was from, oh, what's his name? Alan Dedico. He... I'm nodding, he, uh, he, pretending I know who that he's is. He's not very well known, but he, you would know oh, his shit. voice because he, oh. he announces the lottery balls. Yes, I, I know the voice. And he also does, does the voice of Strictly. Oh, he does another voice. He's not expert. Yes, oh, Strictly. it's another one, yeah. So it's like, what do you announce on Strictly? Tonight we've yeah, got yeah. Yeah, Anton. <laughs> yeah. 
So it's him, and he gave an interview where he revealed that they used to have a drug dealer come oh to the offices God. at BBC headquarters, and they just hired their own drug dealer because it was so easy because so many of the staff were on coke. And he would go from desk to desk, and they would Stop. pay him there and then. Stop! It's like it's getting like a sandwich at your desk. A sandwich and a line, yeah. So. Um, I mean, if ever, a sandwich and a line. So, Good Lord. There's your title. So, we, <laughs> so, like, yeah, we're expected to get a line in the newsroom, as in an interview, but at the BBC, apparently, they were getting a different kind of line. So, um, he revealed that, and it made the front page of The Sun, which, when I was at The Sun, obviously, what every, well, any paper, every journalist is aiming to have the, the splash. Yeah, so, how does that work? Because you, you were at The Sun for quite a while, weren't you? And I, how, two years, How yeah. did you... Um, how do you get to be the front page? Like, is it like in, you know, I mean, the only reference I have for anything is like fashion or makeup, so forgive mm-hmm. me. Um, <laughs> but is it like in fashion editorials where it's the, it's not, because it can't be like a star that's picked, but it's something that's curated around whatever the big buzz is. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different factors that come to play. So I often think a splash is kind of like an eclipse and it's kind of like everything has Double to come eclipse. together like, <laughs> yeah, like a perfect storm so I mean ultimately the editor always makes the final decision so you can bring in a story your line manager the showbiz editor or news editor will love it you can take it to conference everyone in the room can love it is that where they sit and around then, the table and they, you all tell your scoop and the editor's like yes no no yes no yeah it's like in The Apprentice love it and often people end up getting fired in there so it actually is like The Apprentice no way <laughs> no I've not seen someone fight in conference but people were surely have walked out thinking I think I just lost my job <laughs> that's what I love about I feel like working in the type of media that you do there's so much like adrenaline Mm-hmm. it's so like instant and high impact and that's why I think it's so like prevalent in today's culture because I say the way we accumulate media stories even for the big broadsheets for the big bosses and for yeah. those that are, you know have the monopoly like the BBC it's very much now about instant like gratification almost oh definitely yeah like when when I first started there was um if there was a big story and it would be perhaps the front page of News of the World when I started, it would kind of, people would be satisfied with that one story for weeks. But now with this 24-7 news agenda and everyone check getting their news online, people want, they hear the story like, oh, what is it, David Beckham's had an affair or something. Hypothetical. Hypothetical. Just to put Hy- hypothetical. This is just an example. This is not fact at all. And then within two hours, people are loving it, but they're like, right, we want to know more. What's the next thing? And you just have to keep feeding this like ravenous appetite of the audience because they like one story just it's well tomorrow it's yesterday's news yeah another story so on that actually i mean i can't i don't think i can interview a journal without asking them about their opinions on fake news Mm -hmm. like how do you feel especially in the genre of media that you're in about the whole like fake news phenomenon and people i mean i say people but i feel like species like donald trump who perpetuate fake news and personally for me I feel as though they damage what is something that is quite exciting and what was very authentic mm-hmm. um, and just make it really trashy and unreliable as a data source. Yeah, I think that um, I think it is good that the media itself is held to accountability because I don't think you can be this system that is criticising every the government, the public, like any important body in the country, but yourself be immune to um, 
kind of owning up to responsibility when you make mistakes and journalists do make mistakes and they have to apologize for them and they are expected to be held accountable for that have you ever had to apologize for anything i have yeah <laughs> it was james Corden. oh god tell me i wrote a story when i was the columnist at the daily star i wrote a story about him i love james I don't like James. Do you I don't... know what? Lots of people don't like James. I mean, I love James because I'm obsessed with um, Gavin and Stacey. I like Gavin and Stacey, but it was also written by Ruth Jones, and I think I she, mean, I love her. as yeah. Nessa, she is, is what made star. it. Yeah. I always found Smithy very annoying. And then I met him in an awards show, and he was rude, and I'd heard that he'd been rude to a few other journalists. He's very... On TV, he's very sycophantic and very like, yeah. oh my god, Gary Barlow, I love you so much, and like seems like everyone's best friend. He's basically an arsehole in real life. But he's, I mean, he's been rude to journalists, but then I don't necessarily think that means you're an arsehole. I can see why people are, but yeah. I logged it away, and then there was a story about him which was true. In fact, I shouldn't even repeat it because this is why I had to apologise. Okay, don't, don't. So we wrote. don't need to go into detail. But there was a story, and it was true, and he complained about it. And the thing is, as a journalist, when someone complains. It doesn't really matter if it's true or not. You have to have proof. And often, um, it's very hard to prove things if they're not on tape, even yeah, if they did happen. Yeah. And this story wasn't. So we had to print our first apology to do with that. Wow. So Is that really thing. hard? In a, I can't say sorry. I'm notoriously bad at it. So I couldn't have a job where I had to actually publicly <laughs> say sorry. Well, I don't have to publicly say it. It's not like I'm stood in front of an audience. But they, <laughs> but they, they print it in the paper. And as far as the editor's concerned, having to print an apology is the last thing they ever want to do. So if you're the journalist responsible really? for them having to print an apology. It's like such a fun thing to read though. I love reading them because yeah. I'm like, it wasn't me. <laughs> but when it's me, I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> Have you ever had to um, interview him since? I haven't seen him since, no. Oh. Um, I mean, he's in the States now, isn't he? He is, he's and now he's really in hot well. water over this Harvey Weinstein thing. Yeah, there's been a lot about that. Actually, over, I was listening to um, The High Low Show, which is a great podcast. Um, and they did a big thing about that in their, their most recent episode. And I, I mean, I, I hate talking about conversations that are on other podcasts, but it's hard not to when you're a podcast because you just spend your whole life listening to other podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I kind of feel sorry for him in a way because I feel like, why is he apologising? Why should he feel like he has to apologise for what I think is art? Yeah, and I think sometimes with your apology you justify the criticism you've got. In this case, I did think it was a bit ill-judged of him, because considering it's all just coming out, yeah, all these things about yeah. Weinstein, and these actresses who are accusing him of things are very present at the moment. But I do think, I, I don't like this culture of, as soon as people are offended online, you automatically you have apologize. To apologize. Yeah, it's I just, like, actually, do, am I sorry? I don't know, and actually... For this. You, you sometimes don't have to be sorry. Yeah, it's like, fine. Even sometimes... Sorry, not sorry. Yeah. <laughs> And I think as long as you're not physically hurting anybody, and I mean, I'll, I'll take that a little bit more because I do think emotional hurt is, is also very, very um, painful and should be held accountable to apologies at times. But I think in like the media, I don't mean sort of journalist media, I mean more like film, TV, yeah. music. I feel like we almost dim down anybody's like artistic license and creative oh, integrity yeah. by having to be so PC and I'm really scared for what our entertainment is going to be in 10-15 years time if this is this is the culture that we're going to have to live in I mean if you have to apologise for every F word and 
I mean, you do, I agree, you should have to apologise for the C word, always. But, you know, there's... <laughs> I haven't said that yet. Yeah. <laughs> Give him time. He's still only halfway through his glass of well, wine. If I didn't say it about James Corden, I probably won't. But... <laughs> it's not going to come up. Um, but, yeah, I just feel like, if you, especially as a comedian, that's your craft, to make people Absolutely, laugh. And I think, yeah. people do laugh at sad shit. I mean... That's where humour comes from. It exactly. Comes You're trying to bring some kind of joy in something that's really bleak and is sometimes awful and devastating. And it may not be yeah. to everyone's taste, but you know what? That's what I think about a lot of people that walk past me every day in the streets. <laughs> and do you call abuse at there? No! <laughs> I just let it go. But it's true because it's not, it's not even just the entertainment. I think you close down the conversation. Exactly. people are too afraid. They think, oh, I'm quite curious about trans for example yeah i want to know more about it but if i ask i know i'll use the wrong wording and i'll be shot down oh so people God, just totally. don't talk about it and they're yeah. not learning and, and i can't i mean i think you've completely hit the nail on the head mm. especially when it comes to why we have conversations yeah. i think that conversations are completely they're not even diluted anymore they're completely censored absolutely and yeah i always find often when i have guests on the show um you know, I always encourage people to speak as freely and openly as possible. And a lot of the times I'll do a recording with someone and it just won't go out because you haven't been open enough. And mm -hmm. I think as long as you come from a good place and you're not being completely crass and, you know, offensive, which thankfully in my life, I don't think I know any people like that. Um, yeah, but people get on, on Twitter and they just love, it's like mob mentality. It's yeah. like in the olden days when everyone had pitchforks and yes. Like, Planes, but this is on Twitter. They love to destroy someone over a comment. It's like you have to give people the chance to learn. Like, fair enough, say, Oh, I think that this wasn't the right thing to say. Express your opinion, and maybe they'll be like, Oh, actually, I see your point. But by just throwing shame and venom at them, I don't think that solves the problem. No, I don't even think it's throwing, it's almost like throwing just throwing hatred at yeah. that problem, which is almost just as bad as And then you're a hypocrite. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, back to a scoop. Tell mm. me, um, so other than uh, our, my, my good friend James Corden, who uh, I've, I've still got to say, I do, I do love a bit of G, GC. Yeah. Uh, JC even. No, that's G, Gemma Collins. GC. Have you ever interviewed Gemma Collins? I have, and oh, she's hilarious. So much love for she's her. She's exactly the same. I think a bit of like Marmite. I think everyone I love is a little bit Marmite. <laughs> she is a character. And she's actually probably the only one in Taui I can bear, because I... <laughs> I was around when they all started getting famous and it's funny to watch people and they get a bit of fame and they become so intoxicated and I remember there was this instance where we'd been making at the Daily Star we'd been making these people famous by writing about them yeah we were the reason so they you were, were to blame for the success of all of the well, beautifully tanned and perfectly make-uped Taui stars I'm not taking the responsibility for all of it but yeah <laughs> collectively we did that and then We'd been interviewing him for months, and then I went up to Joey Essex at a party, and I said, "Oh, Joey, you've got five minutes," because he was quite newsworthy. He was like, "You'll have to speak to my agent. You're gonna have to pay for this interview." I was like, Sorry, "Excuse me." <laughs> so I had my own column at the time. So the next day, I wrote the story just that, "Oh, Joey Essex is too big for his boots now. He thinks that he's this big star. He thinks he can charge Joey for interviews Essex. at parties." So I tore him to shreds. I saw him the next week at the I think it was the NTAs or the TV BAFTAs. He came up to me like, why did you write that about me, man? I don't understand. I was like, and now you know. <laughs> and now these same Tarry people, Joey included, uh, will be the people at a party who are desperate for people to talk to them. 
Like, you're only hot so for so funny, long. That's so funny, isn't it? Yeah. And now, and now there's many a journalist who they try and talk to and be like, no, the editor's not interested in you. And I think as well, because they are so like, is it, was it what's, the, what's the expression? Penny to a dozen. Is that what it is? I'm ten sorry. a penny, yeah. Ten, forgive me. <laughs> My colloquialisms. Ten a penny. They are so ten a penny, which is such an awful thing to say about human beings. But I mean, I mean more the, you know, that kind of culture breed of celebrity. Mm. I guess what used to, we used to call them what said list celebrities or reality are. TV stars. <laughs> they still Because <are>. yeah. <laughs> then something like Love Island comes along and oh, they're not interested I mean, but anymore. I did, I did love, this is the thing. I, I mean, to be fair, of all of my reality TV fixes that I do get, Love Island was by far the best I've ever encountered. I've never seen it. Stop it. Never. And you call yourself a celeb journalist. I'm quite proud of that, actually. No, but I was living in New York this year for three months and that was when uh, it all happened. And I've never in all my years, missed a big cultural moment in this country. But that one completely passed me by. So I came back and people talk about Kem. I'm like... <laughs> Who is he? Who you're is talking he? about, like, Kem sex? I don't understand what's going on. <laughs> and then, but it's this man. Man is a man. Yeah, Kem, yeah. I still don't know who he is. And people are obsessed. I but mean... it went straight over my head. I feel like you have missed out. I'm not going to lie to you. But, but I think I you only missed out this now. summer. No. Yeah. Like, and, and I'd never watched Love Island before, and I don't think I ever will, to be honest. Oh, do you think I watched the first season, like, a long time ago? Do you remember when it was... No, see, I had... Paul Denan first, and Jane Middlemas one. So this was a long time ago. I remember Paul Denan. Yeah, I think he was on this one as well. Oh, maybe in Celebrity Big Brother. He was in Celebrity Big Brother. No, he was in Love Island as well. I mean, oh. he's done the rounds. This is basically... Because I didn't really ago. even know what it was, because I'm just... I like reality TV, but I don't like those type of shows where it's a game show and it's just basically skinny tanned people. No, you want some variety. That's so why I you like, like Big Brother. They yeah, like loads the of original people. Big Brother. And oh this God, basically, so this good. year's Love Island, I think, was like those first two series of Big Brother. Okay, you sold me It was me raw, then. <laughs> it was... And I feel like whoever produces the show, great job. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You did a great bloody job. Well done. Bravo. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like my kind of reality TV is way more like, I mean, love a bit of Kardashians. I know that I get a lot of shame. My friends all think it's ridiculous that I'm still obsessed with the Kardashians 10 years later. But I, I think, think they come full circle. Yeah. I think people, it was uncool to like them and then I think it became so uncool it's cool again and let's face it they're not going anywhere I mean they've been around for 10 years and they've managed to turn nothing into a hell of a lot a hell of a lot of money and a hell of a lot of 
a lot of silicone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I and a hell of a I lot of bronzer. Came three was it three years ago? Four years ago. So this was like she was very famous, but she wasn't what she is now. Although yeah. she was with Kanye. At this point. I feel like she was famous then, but she wasn't a celebrity. I think yeah. I think after she did the um, break the internet shoot, that's where it went to a yes. different level. And yeah. the wedding with Kanye. Yeah, the also. wedding. I mean, Kanye was what made it for her. Absolutely, but she was with him when I interviewed him. But they, I don't think they'd taken it, it as far yet. <laughs> Um, it was one of her fragrance launches, and I interviewed her, and she was so robotic. But I get why, because, I mean, she didn't really have to give an interview with me, and she, she wasn't going to give me anything interesting, because she didn't have to, and she's very... I think, like we were saying about Katie Price, I think she's very savvy, but whereas Katie's savvy in a way that she will she's let it all out there, yeah. Kim is very, I will give my interest, interesting quotes when I've got something interesting I really to need say. to promote. Do you think... Actually, that's a really interesting point that you made. Do you think that's... To do with, like, uh, UK celebrities versus American celebrities. Because I do generally find that I really enjoy celebrity in the UK, but I'm, I like, I really don't care about anything in American culture in terms celebrity-wise. Like, I might mm. enjoy a film, but it's not because of the lead star, unless it's Channing Tating, and that's a whole different reason uh, why I enjoy that. That's why I'm like with Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell? I'm obsessed, yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Do you not think that he's just got too many teeth now? No, I think he's got the perfect amount of teeth. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like I feel like he's the kind of guy that plays rugged, but he's probably not rugged at all. He's probably like really puny and like. I did see a picture. He's not really a throwdown. And oh. then I was like, oh. Yeah. It did also... make me rethink a few things. But... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's sexy. And I interviewed him once on the red carpet, and he like made eye contact, and they and very like, rarely do it. I was, I was drooling. And he'd like make, touch your arm and stuff oh, like that. And I'm some people, some celebrities are very good at making you feel like you're the only person in the room. Yeah, like yeah. people always say that about Simon Cowell, and it's true. And then there's some people. I mean, especially who... if you're a black woman, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, look at me, I love me. I'm Sunita. <laughs> the new Sunita. <laughs> but then there are others who you meet, and but you don't feel like you met them at all. So it's someone, yeah, someone I think like that's Matthew I... McConaughey. It's just like a shadow. Oh, just... Don't tell me that I adore him. Well, I think he's a great actor. But I mean, I think I met him at a very weird time in his life because he was, I said to my colleagues, well, peers on the red carpet, like he's anorexic. There's something wrong with him. He did lose a lot of weight. But then later, Dallas Spice Club came out. I was like, oh, that's why. Because we oh, were at a Magic Mike premiere. Was... And I, was I mean, like, you were just killing me right now. First is Matthew McConaughey. Magic Mike! I'm like, I can't control... How this do you control is what yourself when you're say, around these because people? Because these premiers are not fun, and everyone always thinks they would be fun, <laughs> but they're absolutely not, because you're stood outside for three to four hours sometimes. Oh, God. Um, at red carpet, and they don't let you just come at the end when, and inevitably, the big star of the film comes right at the end. And sometimes they come right at the end and don't even talk to you, so you've spent four hours stood. And guaranteed, if the premiere is in the winter... the it, the red carpet will be outside and if it's in the sweltering summer it will be inside so it will be why do they do this to torture you <laughs> honestly <laughs> and then the celebrity will come up and like Angelina and Joe be like oh my god it's so cold you're like yeah I know I've been sitting for four fucking hours you've just walked out of a limo and you're walking in to watch your probably shit film so you get you get very annoyed and you stood there and then occasionally you interview someone else who's coming up but the red carpet is kind of and it sounds really ungrateful and shitty but it is a horrible place to work. Most that's so funny because you, as a like consumer of this juice, um, <laughs> you always feel like the red carpet is where the glamour is. And I, I know we've got a friend in common, and 
She's, I feel like she's always doing red carpets. And I was like, oh, back home to my spreadsheet. Oh, and my bottle of cheap Pinot. It's not fun. It really <laughs> is. There are loads of things that are fun. So I'm not grateful. Like, I love when there's a, um, like, a press night for a West End show or something. That's, oh, yeah. I love that. And I love just, like, a really cool award show where all the stars are out and you can kind of, you're mingling with them over dinner. But a red carpet is not fun. And most showbiz journalists would not say it was fun. And do you find that um, you make any friends? Like, not, not just red carpet friends and colleagues, but do you ever make friends with any of the celebs? Or is it just friends on the red carpet, as in journos? So you become very uh, good friends with um, your fellow journalists, because you soon realise, and I learnt this a little bit too late, but you will see each other at every single party. So some of the time you spend more time with journalists from other papers, your rivals, than you do with your actual colleagues at your own paper. That's so funny. So you get to know them really well. And then... Because a lot of these parties have free drink. When I was first starting, I was just couldn't believe that there was free drink. I was like, oh my god! <laughs> Any moment I wasn't drinking, I thought I'm losing money. Like I'm wasting. So I'd be hammered. Money that wasn't mine. And then just get into some stupid argument with someone at a party and just think, oh well, never mind. And then two days later, at another party, and they're there, and you're like, oh shit, I can't fall out with people yeah. because. And then you realise after doing it for so long that. Um, it's quite a small pool of showbiz journalists in the grand scheme of things and the people that you were that you knew two years ago become the people giving you work in two years they get promoted to be an editor or like when I became an editor and then I was giving work to my friends and it's very it's, kind of yeah and I, th- I mean that's a really good point actually because for all of the different types of journalists that I know I feel like what makes it something that I quite enjoy um, sort of having like my a toothpick um stab at it is Mm -hmm. how much of a community it is and I my day job my career has always been built around um a really broad industry and I mean the fashion industry is tiny and actually it's really not in comparison to a lot of others because actually we're not friends Mm -hmm. um and I say there's very few people in the industry that are friends in the way that I feel journalists are and I always find it so refreshing and I was at a really incredible completely I mean different type of journalism I was at um an event with Cosmopolitan magazine Mm -hmm. and there it was a panel event uh quite intimate maybe like 50 people there and you could see between like the editor like the editor of the magazine and then some of the other journalists that were up on stage there was a friendship there like there was a relationship between these people that have built their careers together Mm -hmm. i can think of some of like the old commercial directors that i started working with they probably wouldn't even recognize me i mean now i look like a (laughs) little chubby boy well i actually look like crisscross today which has terrified (laughs) a lot of people in the office (laughs) disaster with a overly straightened hair gone curly um but yeah (laughs) thanks babe um (laughs) But yeah, there's not that camaraderie that you get when you're on the red carpet. And I always think of it as, well, I know it's not on the red carpet, it's not your whole job. But yeah. when I think of that pool of journalists that I sometimes see at different events. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just so refreshing. I don't know, I think there's, it is quite nice. But there's pros and cons to it. Because I think, on the other hand, when you become friends with your fellow journalists, you're also still in an industry where you're naturally expected to be competitive. So if you're, you're both at a party, say I'm there for the sun and my friend who I've known for years is there for the mirror, we're both having a nice time catching up and then there's a celebrity and she goes in and gets the chat and I don't. Like there is, and then there, it does cause tension and there are fallouts. 
And sometimes you think, would it be easy if we just weren't friends? But it's actually very difficult not to, to go through and see the same people event after event and not be friends with them. So I think you just kind of have to take it on a case-by-case basis and accept that the girl that you're having drinks with and laughing with last week, this week you're telling to go fuck herself because <laughs> you're at a party and things have got out of control. And then, But people have very short memories, I think because of the free, free bar usually. I mean, yeah, free bar. So a lot gets wiped clean, I think. <laughs> so do you think as well that's kind of... I mean, I always think the greatest... And I know, I mean, I know I talk about him on every bloody podcast, but Piers uh, Morgan, mm-hmm. like I, he's my total Marmite. And I think what I like about him is how he probes. And I think every single interview he ever does, he has literally zero fucks to give. Yeah. And I think that's what makes him really good. Like he might not agree with what he's saying. Or I think virtually no one probably agrees with what he's saying but he gets a conversation yeah Yeah. he gets a conversation going that to me a lot of journalists don't a lot of people don't and yeah i think that's what what makes the world go round imagine how boring life would be if we just listened to some people's opinion i know he i mean he's opinionated but it's It's that push and that ability for him to not be afraid of offending people or losing friends basically um, and I was reading a really interesting article um, about a book that I'm reading. And so I'm reading the originals at the moment by Adam Grant. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's talking about those kind of people that are really entrepreneurial, like in any walk of life. Yeah. Um, and one of their key traits is they're not afraid to lose friends. I And I and always sit. People. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and it doesn't mean that those people aren't friendly and don't have loads of friends. It just means being liked and being friendly to everyone is not at the top of their agenda. It's oh, about yeah, getting yeah, yeah. the job done. And I think I always struggle with that because I, I'd i say I'm, like, sociable is probably one of my top skills, like, top three skills. Friendly, yeah. one of my top three skills. Um, but I always say I'm not nice. I mean, you're not going to... you are. Thanks, babe. <laughs> but, I mean, I feel like I'm just... I hope I'm being genuine a lot of the time. And I think mm. that it's really... It must be really hard for a journalist who is trying to build that relationship with effectively a stranger but then also build that relationship all the time with their effective like I guess it's competition but colleagues in a way yeah there is an element of and I'm sure you know about this in the fashion industry as well like a lot of people are very fake and like you've known them for two minutes and like oh my god I love you and it's like oh yeah. we're getting along just fine but yeah we don't know each other <laughs> so I am um, I'm definitely not like that I'm friendly to people when I meet yeah, them yeah no I think I that's like why people. you stand out but I don't, I, I don't like that. And then I think when I do like someone and get on with them, it means more. Whereas if I'm just going around telling think. everyone I love them, then it's like, how do you know what my real feelings are? Yeah. Or whether we actually have made a connection or whether I'm just... And there's a lot of that. There's people I've known for years in showbiz journalism who you're at a party with them and they're just constantly looking over their shoulder for the next person and like oh, see who's better. And it's very like, yeah, there's an element of kind of, nauseating yeah. falseness to it all cringiness yeah but then there's also if you're quite direct and like you say about Piers Morgan who very much doesn't seem to give a shit what people think that is also something a lot of people have respect for because you can't really be a journalist going around interviewing celebrities being like oh god they're not saying anything interesting they're just saying oh never say never and giving no non-answers when you yourself are not being opinionated yeah. and being quite boring yourself I think yeah ask the tough questions 
ask curveball questions. You don't have to follow a script. I've seen so many times on red carpets where it's usually a young female journalist who'll be like, oh, what are you wearing? It's like, no one yeah. cares. I mean, as you can tell, I'm not good with a script. I've asked none of the fucking questions I had listed today. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good to go off topic and like judge, judge each interview as it develops. Like yeah. some people are so obsessed with their next question that they actually might be missing the story because when a celebrity goes off a tangent and they're trying to bring them back and that's not the best thing to do. I think it's, each interview is different. Sometimes it's good to build a rapport and feel really comfortable so they'll loosen up. Other times you just need to do yeah. a Paxman and just say, <laughs> are you doing Strictly? Are you doing Strictly? Are you doing Strictly? Until they eventually say, why are you being so weird? <laughs> <laughs> something wrong with you <laughs> are you all right love um someone didn't take their meds today <laughs> um so i've got one more question that i mm-hmm. want to ask you um and i just want to say this has been a bloody delight can i just oh, say you, i want to keep going you are definitely coming back by the way oh yeah we have to we have to we need round two we do so and three I, and four <laughs> and five and six um <laughs> what i find really interesting about your career um and I think one thing I'm always really interested, like, I'm one of these people that is a real, like, stereotypical millennial, like, all I care about is my job, my career, well, not all, but that's, like, mm-hmm. my number one goal in life. I'm one of those independent women that, like, is, like, career, career, career. And so I'm always really obsessed with how other successful people have built their careers. But for me, what makes that interesting is not this, like, so my dad's a millionaire and <laughs> I'm really lucky to be a trust fund kid and <laughs> I got this internship. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I got this internship and now I'm like head of Vogue. It's like, no. I mm-hmm. mean, some of us are literally doing the like 39p shop in Lidl for the last two weeks of the month still yeah. at 32 years old. Mm-hmm. <coughs> still me. Um, <laughs> and I think there's something really admirable to people that are successful in the way that I see success and I think success is really different to different people for different reasons yeah and to me success is setting out to build something for yourself it doesn't necessarily have to be the career that you wanted or the path that you thought you were going to go down but still creating something that is amazing and that other people can learn from or admire or look up to even if you don't think it's that great because it wasn't what you intended Um, And really, really importantly, especially I think in today's um, society, have some kind of personal version of work-life balance. Yeah. And that doesn't mean being able to go to the gym after work. It's like whatever that means for you. That might mean working, you know, a 50-hour week. That might be work-life balance for you. Yeah. Um, And I know in your industry, I mean, you're (laughs) literally working now all night, Um, (laughs) which for me is uh, not what I'm used to. Um, So... I would say that you are definitely something that's really successful. And I just want to say, how how do you think that you have achieved that? Because um, you started from, this is such a cliche, so you started from humble beginnings. Um, <laughs> and you've done something really incredible. And you're still doing great things. And I think that um, move into freelancing um, is something that a lot of people our age are looking at and aspiring to, to make yeah. that leap. And it's terrifying. Like, well, it's really scary. It is, but I think, going off what you were saying before, you said you're a typical millennium, and I don't think you are, and I think you're a really good example of, like, you wanted to do a podcast, so you 
did it. And I think a, an issue that I think a lot of some people in our generation have, and younger especially, is I want a podcast. Like, why is no one offering me one? Why is <laughs> I've been I'm walking around being fabulous? Why is no one giving me one? It's like in today's day and age, I think you do just have to if you want something, you have to seize it yourself, and you've done this all by yourself. And there's always, um, and it's very gratifying and it's very inspiring. And I think that's the thing. And I'm quite old school because when I came down to London first and still now, because I've written a novel and I want to get it published. I'm not, let's, let's make this happen, people. I'm not expecting anyone to be offering me any book deals, but I've been to parties specifically to target one person and I walk up to them and meet them and give them your business card. And I think if you're doing anything that's media related, you cannot underestimate the power of face to face. Like you can send as many emails perfectly worded yeah. covering letters <laughs> as you want, but if you need to get FaceTime with someone. And if you really and you can make it happen, like and I just always think do things that are really embarrassing and mortifying. Like I the story of my life. If you want to stand outside someone's <laughs> office and wait for them and ha- hand them a handwritten C V, then do it. Like show that you are willing to be completely mortifying but dedicated and yeah when I came down to London originally I just kind of wasn't sat around waiting for job applications to come up I just thought right how watch what people were doing and how can I be like them how can I make it happen for me and I think if you have that attitude eventually it will happen you know that's actually really sound advice and it's Annoyingly, the kind of thing that my mum would say to me. Thanks, Ed. Um, <laughs> well, but it, it worked because you are doing it. <laughs> but it, I think the, I think the, the good learning from that is actually we always say that like, oh, things are different. Things are so much harder now. You yeah. don't just get given stuff nowadays. You didn't get given stuff, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago. People yeah. were just like it more social. And that doesn't mean online, Instagram. Bloody love Instagram, but it's mm-hmm. maybe not always gonna give you the job that you want or the satisfaction that you need. It's more about like getting out and meeting people. I mean, and I still totally cringe when I have to go and introduce myself to somebody for the first time, even if I know that they might know who I am. I'm always really freaked out. So that was bloody brilliant advice. Well, and I'm you don't keep give doing off that. that vibe. You give off a very confident vibe, and that isn't another good tip I think is just fake it till you make I mean, it isn't it absolutely just project and what if you, you can't fake it on your own it's called one glass of Merlot and then you fake it till you make it <laughs> fake it on your own sounds like a bit weird <laughs> well that's a whole other podcast that isn't is it? that one's X-rated. coming soon oh, wait, give me the <laughs> right Ed on that, that note thanks so <laughs> thanks so much for joining me oh, today thank you so much and for having me it's been you amazing for sure be back. I definitely will. Thanks. I can't wait already. And if you've enjoyed what you've listened to today or any other of my podcasts, you can find me on acast.com. Um, I'm available on iTunes and on Android or wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. And if you'd like to join the conversation, you can tweet me at Teb Moema. That's T-E-B as in T for Tango, E for Echo, B for Bravo. Yes, I do have to spell my name out like that. Moema, which is M-O-E-M-A. Or you can find me on Instagram at teb1. Thanks so much, guys. Bye. Bye.